I think we at one stage had like 35 minutes wait for a hand brew and we were like people wait for sushi in the evening and the best sushi bars you wait 30 minutes easy you can wait for your coffee as well and then the sales started going down and we're like we're, what are we doing wrong we walked down like one Kenya one Guatemala and everyone were like I can take it doesn't matter what I ordered I'll take it I just need coffee Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, I just um, edited the podcast and it was sounding pretty, pretty good. Okay, nice. Uh, how was your experience yesterday? Uh, I had a really good time. Uh, it was really interesting to um, to listen to what the, what the guys had to say. Uh, a lot of interesting insights. Um, and it's cool to see people working with uh, with the different things within the specialty coffee mm-hmm. uh, scene to have different perspectives. Very enlightening. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's good. Only only problem was uh, I need to make a note for next time to not bring the dog in, into the studio. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, when, uh, <laughs> And uh, recording. So, yeah, and we lost the last. We lost my last question. I don't know. There was something wrong with the with the software. Oh uh, no. Yeah, but apart from that, all the rest is sounding sharp. Okay. And, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put a funny quote from Eric first, then a jingle, and then this conversation. And uh, like doing that, doing that, breaking the fourth wall, basically. Breaking the fourth. Uh, <laughs> what we're going for. <laughs> Okay, so after this, after this is going to be you saying welcome. So maybe I'm going to hang up on you now, and then we'll talk later. But maybe you can say welcome again. Uh, say welcome to like the crowd now. To the crowd, yeah. Okay, well, uh, what do you want me to say? The same as uh, yesterday? Just, just no, just welcome. Just the word welcome. Just the word welcome. Mm. Okay. Welcome. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll speak to you later. Well, welcome. <laughs> okay. You later. okay. All right. Okay. Bye. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, it's really nice to see uh, a, a, such a small uh, crowd. Nice crowd. Um, um, yeah, and welcome to you guys. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, this is going to be a, a loosely structured uh, and somewhat interesting talk about coffee, uh, uh, particularly third wave coffee. Uh, I guess everyone in the room knows what this involves, the third wave. But anyway, I'm going to uh, try to sum up, try to sum up these waves. I I don't know what what it. What okay. it means. So, so okay, um, so this that's is why I'm here actually. So this is gonna be <laughs> Thank <good>. you. Okay. <laughs> Me too. Um So give us the definition really. The the very general uh, f- very quick internet definition definition, I guess. Uh the first wave was about making uh, mass consumption uh or ma- um uh, it was about mass consumption consumption. It was making a, uh, about making gourmet commodity uh, w- what was at the time a gourmet commodity easily accessible to the masses um, and it often gets associated with like the big traditional French coffee houses. The second wave was all about 
Starbucks and the big chains wanting to standardize all the aspects uh, of of the whole entire production line. Uh, and finally, you have the much talked about third wave. Uh, uh, some people uh, believe that we're in the third wave now. We can discuss that later, maybe, uh, which is about bringing the gourmet back into coffee, uh, bringing transparency into the value chain and respecting all the people involved, um, uh, as well as yeah, highlighting the artisanal aspects, <coughs> the, the the craftsmanship <coughs> of it. Uh, so that's the general definition. But what's more interesting is to listen to what you guys have to say. What what does, for those, the two of you who does actually know what it is, what does third wave coffee mean to you? Uh, and how is it different from the conventional uh, commercial style of coffee? And when did you decide th that you wanted a career in this line? You first. Me first. Yes. Well, uh, well, I think for me, the most important part is the traceability of the beans. Uh, and of course, that, uh, like, uh, the fair trade aspect of it, that everybody, the traceability that everybody gets a fair uh, pay, fair salary of the workers. But, uh, you know, that the, that the beans have an ad address label. Um, that's, uh, I think, the most uh, interesting part. And uh, when I start to, or when I realized that I wanted a Korean coffee, I think I haven't realized that yet. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just having fun. So uh, yeah, I'm, uh, this is what I want to do in the moment uh, for now, and let's see what happens. Okay, but uh, tell us a little bit more about your career. When did you? Di so did you start working in coffee here in Norway, or? Yeah, um, I come from Finland. I'm a Finno-Swedish. Finno-Swedish. I'm a Finno-Swedish. <laughs> I'm a Swedish-speaking Finn. That's what I was going to say. Uh, and I came to Norway in 2011, and actually um, I walked into a coffee shop because I needed a job, and that was Kaffebrenneri at Bischlet. And uh, I didn't know anything about specialty coffee or coffee, and uh, that's where the seed was planted. So uh, the first uh, um, whiff or sniff I had from the, that seeds in summer coffee just oozed of strawberries, and I was just blown away. Uh, that I, I didn't know that coffee could smell of strawberries. Coffee can do that, blow you, blow you away. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, then I got more and more interested, and uh, yeah, and I'm kind of lazy. So if I want to learn something, I have to be pushed. So I pushed myself to be in competitions just to learn. So that's the my path in coffee. Yeah, and so. Uh, what Tom said just earlier, you have competed quite a bit. We're gonna talk more about that in a minute. Uh, and uh, how about you, Eric? You started one of the w most known coffee shops in one of the hippest areas in Scandinavia ten years ago. Yeah, that's how was that? Can you rem that's reminisce? That's the image a we bit? wanted to sell anyway. Can, <laughs> can you reminisce a little bit uh, for us? How yeah. was that? Take us back to that uh, time and place. So I ended up in Stockholm. I was a freelance journalist. Uh, I thought it was uh, I could take a chance to move to Stockholm and, and get some jobs. And um, I got a couple of jobs. I ended up in a freelance uh, office with um, a photographer and some different people making furniture and stuff. And the owner had a coffee bar just around the corner. 
Um, and uh, it was uh, just in the, the finance crisis, 2008 and uh, 2009. And um, after like two months into the year, I didn't get any jobs and no one did. So we, we worked at the, um, uh, the, this coffee bar around the corner to pay the rent for the office. Uh, the rent for my own apartment was um, a problem I had to fix later. First of all, I wanted to keep my, my spot in that office. And it was like, I don't know how big it was, like 80 square meters, and half of it was eight different freelance, like creative people, and the rest was a big empty space with two tables and a linear classic espresso machine in the middle. And we took like longer and longer breaks, making like this latte art and espresso, and, and then we worked in this coffee bar around the corner, and he, Oscar, that I started drop coffee with, he, he just, he had this coffee bar for like six months. He got the 10 out of 10 in the biggest newspaper in, uh, in Stockholm, Dagens Nyheter, for the best espresso in Stockholm, which was Italian imported bullshit. <laughs> and uh, then he like, oh, I'm the best barista in town. I'm gonna start with specialty coffee. And uh, I tasted uh, some coffee and I thought, wow, I like this. I thought I liked coffee before, but it was the first time I tasted that type of coffee. And I'm the type of person that if I'm hungry, I think everyone else is hungry, right? And uh, so I, I like this coffee. Everyone else should like this coffee. And I'm like, this is crazy. I've never seen this before. I have five million Swedes that will run for this coffee bar if we just start selling, you know. It wasn't that easy, but we tried anyway. That's why we started Drop Coffee. Um, but Sorry, just to ask, uh, answer your question about Third Wave, because now I wrote it down. I didn't have an answer before, <laughs> but I wrote here. I think it's, uh, for me, doing that then, it was all about putting a name on a flavor. Okay. And that wasn't dark roast or medium roast or purple uh, packaging or green packaging. It was like a name, someone, a farmer somewhere or a, a village. Someone is responsible yeah. for you enjoying this beverage. Yeah, or just like, then after a while you realize that all the coffee in Shakiso tastes the same, or it doesn't matter if it's that farm or that uh, neighboring farm in Honduras, it can taste the same anyway. But just to get the names, a relation to, to actually, okay, so this co coffee actually comes from somewhere. Mm. And then we sold, all the coffee we sold was the third generation farmer somewhere mm. that cared about uh, birds and flowers and it was all about storytelling, 2009. Yeah, yeah, nice. So that's different from today, you would say? Or? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you said that you opened up the shop in 2009. Mm. And according to my calculation, we're in 2019 now. What is ten that, 10 years? 10 years is and one month in special. Is it coffee. 10 years he's been in the industry? Yeah. <laughs> that's an applause, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well deserved. Um, Yes, Jamie, you're from Hi. the Netherlands. Yes, I am. Uh, you used to run a shop and a roastery in Rotterdam. Yeah. Tell us about that. Um, well, I can come up with a very romantic story, but like Anton said <laughs> about his uh, not knowing anything about specialty coffee, I didn't know anything about anything. So um, I quit my studies, basically. I did graphic design, like uh, the most uh, standard uh, barista story ever, I think. Um, quit my studies, thought I'm going to do this barista thing for about a year. Uh, got to know coffee at this local coffee shop. 
was actually a chain, but a very good chain coffee company in uh, in Rotterdam. And uh, they actually put some effort into training their baristas and everything and uh, getting to know a little bit about the coffee. But this was I, also about 11 years ago when I started in Specialty Coffee. But um, which sounds like I'm super, super old right now. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I did that for about a year until I got a little bit bored and then um, started doing my own thing on festivals, like uh, renting myself out as a barista on freelance, doing all the festivals in the Netherlands and having your own little bar, that kind of stuff very early. But this was at the time where there, every coffee was just shit. And on the festivals, there was like all the the big brands had bought up at the whole festival and everything. So there was no not really room to do anything on the bigger festivals. Um, so very fast, I got to know that you can't really make money with coffee on festivals unless you're doing a big, unless you're doing also a, on your private company doing like sort of a catering coffee you can only make money when you also do the bank lobby opening all the boring stuff so um, uh, I got pretty bored about that after one year got to know a local entrepreneur who had like a very successful lunch and breakfast shop and this was at the time where nobody especially not in the Netherlands like only in Melbourne you had these uh, lunch shops and uh, coffee shops where people were in line but no fucking way people would stand in line for coffee or for food in the Netherlands. And we, or she had that shop and she gave me the opportunity to do a lot of stuff there. So I started the, the whole coffee project there and we went from, uh, it sounds like, this doesn't sound like a lot of kilo, but it went from like two kilos a week to 14 in a year and then 20 and 25 and we kept growing. And eventually, because this shop was like a, it was basically a shop done with very low resources, not a lot of money. Uh, it was an old garage, but we had made a like beautiful shop out of it uh, with like very high quality uh, um, food and everything. Uh, so much so that most of the money went to the did, food. And did staff. you have a Scandinavian design? No. No. Okay. No. I thought that was that was not hip yet. Okay. That was not hip yet. before that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, maybe if you see it now, you you think it's Scandinavian. I'm not sure. I don't think so. It will, it had very much. I will show you some photos afterwards. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then we got an opportunity to to um, to to build something up in a very well building. There was like a few guys coming into our shop saying, like, "Wow, we have this weird building. Uh, come by." So I was like very skeptical, but I was like, "Okay, let's let's check it out." And uh, me and um, the co-founder of the of the place that we later owned uh, went to this building, and it ended up being an old abandoned swimming pool, which had been abandoned for ten years. So it had all all the old the old pools without the water and everything, and even like the just imagine like the the kind of Jurassic Park kind of thing, you know, where the abandoned buildings are with the glass ceilings and everything. That's how the swimming pool looked like. So when I went there, my mind was blown. Because we, had, like, more or less at the same time, we were looking at getting uh, a place to open up a coffee roastery. And I was like, fuck, if I can have a swimming pool, like, while I'm roasting coffee and then looking over this abandoned swimming pool, how amazing would that be? So we opened that and it turned out to be a huge headache because it's the same thing that Eric told about uh, uh, being um, a little bit too early on the specialty thing. You think everyone's gonna be running because you found something you're like, everyone should taste it, everyone's gonna like this. Takes a while. 
but uh, yeah, uh, we opened up a bar first and everything, and it was a huge terrace, and uh, it was beautiful. Uh, mm. uh, but it was yeah. Nice. Jurassic Park is one of my favorite movies as well. So I'm I'm really excited about uh, visiting the shop. Does an old uh, espresso house look like espresso or uh, like Jurassic Park now? Isn't that the feeling you get when you walk into espresso, espresso house? house? Yeah, I've it's like walking into a Jurassic Park scene. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it. Yeah. That's yeah, my. It's, it's that's such my a good film. Anymore. Sorry yeah. for trailing off. No worries. No worries. Uh, yeah. yeah t- thanks for sharing. Uh, quite the international crowd. Uh, Specialty coffee is an international. I mean, can I? Game. Because when when we started in Stockholm, we I one of the guys that I I like explored this amazing specialty coffee was American. So we had a lot of American inspiration. We did not know that anything happened around. I mean, we had heard about Tim and maybe Kaffa and in Oslo, there something happened there. But we looked at we looked at the states because that was like the shit. So we. We set up these cuppings we invite to this office and we invited people and we had this whiteboard and we cupped Kenya and everyone, oh, it's peccant, amazing, it can taste like this. And then we had a monsoon Malabar and everyone like, moldy basement, oh, it's amazing. You know? and, then we, and we were like, we're going to take 100 crowns for every visitor and then we're going to spend the money going to New York and visit Cafe Grumpy and Ninth Street Espresso and we did this like tripled ristrettos, we had like 26 grams coffee in and 20 grams water out and it was like Same here. just body and, and for those of you it was like <laughs> it was so amazing and for those of you who haven't pulled an espresso in your life that's crazy stuff that's wrong yeah, yeah. and wrong. we we had these like big soup bowls in the coffee bar where we 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 had no guests in the weeks so we we like we had one person just steaming milk, <laughs> one liter milk, and and we did like six double espressos first in the this bowl, and then just handing over the pitcher, and we could keep on pouring, and it was like fifteen uh, rosettas, and then like oh that's nice, poured it out, and then one more, <laughs> and it's like then then we found a guy that we uh, knew a bit about coffee that actually could brew a cup of coffee, and and we asked him, do you want to? If we get a roaster, if we find a roaster, do you want to start? And he's like, oh, imagine how amazing it would be to just work and smell and taste every day. And, and he was so inspiring. We we're like, we're going to get a roaster. We don't have any money. We will find it. You, you got the job. And then he's like, yeah, I think I need six months of test roasting batches just, just to get to know the machine and get set all the recipes. And I was like... Uh, that's a good idea, but then I started counting six months of salary and green coffee, and we're not selling anything still. No, 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 just testing. <laughs> and I'm like, S- forget about it. We, you don't, you didn't get the job. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. <laughs> it was a lot of like uh, g- good ideas, a lot of wasting money, and um, a lot of trial and error. It was a, yeah, uh, like yeah. a young field still. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Times have changed. And for the better, I think. When we at Drop started, decided not to do espresso roast because that was quite like, quite unique then. That I mean, that was based on we didn't have time because we had a one kilo roaster. We didn't have time to roast both espresso and filter because we sold more coffee than we could roast at the same time. So we just had like the espresso ran out, and we were like, ah, let's take the filter coffee in the espresso grinder. And we were like, tasted it. It was an Ethiopian coffee, really easy to roast light. Mm. We thought that would work on everything. And, uh, and we looked at each other like, 
why we don't need espresso roast let's just do this we don't we just have to have one profile per coffee <laughs> much easier and then we just uh, went with it and people stood in line i i mean waiting for coffee as you uh, as you said I, I think we at one stage had like 35 minutes wait for a hand brew and we were like People wait for sushi in the evening. In the best sushi bars, you wait 30 minutes, easy. You can wait for your coffee as well. And then the sales started going down, and we're like, we're, what are we doing wrong? We walked down like, one Kenya, one Guatemala, and everyone were like, I can take it. Doesn't matter what I ordered, I'll take it. I just need coffee. I think that is such a beautiful segue into the clip I think uh, Tom is going to show us. Uh, roll the clip, Tom. Tasting coffee. There you go. Simple. Thanks. McDonald's, everybody. Uh, first, I want to ask. This is obviously a, like a blatant stereotype, uh, which is cool. I'm not taking offense. Uh, but is this stereotype alive today? Is it still relevant in 2019? Uh, what are your thoughts coming from uh, a long, uh, uh, a good few years in Kaffebrenneria? This, uh, the distance you see here between the, the barista and the customer talking to separate languages. Uh, I think it exists still today. Yeah, of course, I think, yeah. But um, I think maybe not as, uh, it's getting more down to earth, I think, in a way. Um, Are we communicating coffee in a different way in 2019 and uh, compared to what we did just a few years ago? Well, I only have my background in uh, coffee brenneria, and uh, they was really important with the communication, and uh, they even they really was burning had a burning engagement for the beans and the origin and a lot of uh, trips to origin to the farmers and they were really good at like communicating that to the baristas that okay people you should really tell about this and, and the uh, crowd seemed to appreciate this extra information yeah they did as long as it wasn't in a morning rush and they were <laughs> late to work yeah, yeah. Uh, but otherwise they were quite like they they didn't mind spend the extra kroners for if they knew that okay this is the Christmas coffee that goes to the schooling project in Guatemala exactly yeah so so you're playing on their uh, their uh, guilt basically exactly yeah no but I feel that the the communication of the f yeah. of the coffee about the coffee I think has maybe changed a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I remember back in like 2012 or 2013, we could read in all the big newspapers that uh, coffee shops 
like uh, Java and Mocha and the big ones were throwing out their batch brewer uh, for the benefit of higher, supposedly higher quality pour-overs. Um, now we see a lot of them are actually welcoming the uh, batch brewer uh, back in. Is that a sign that technology technology is now uh, on par, like is so good that we can rely on it, or is it a symptom of the communicate the communication is changing and getting more humble in a sense? What do you think, Eric? I def uh, what do you think? I think uh, that we had to do things like that to kind of get people's attention. That that uh, in this place in our coffee bar, a cup of coffee is something. It has a name, and we appreciate you to choose your make a choice because we think that you will get something more out of that. And uh, if you just had that batch, then people would take that. Half of the guests would just like, ah, oh, I'll just take the fill the coffee, and then we wouldn't get the chance to talk about the coffee or. So. To to take the batch back now is, I guess, a way to survive. <laughs> uh, because the margins are so low. Yeah, exactly. And but also because people understand, they know they know the coffee has has a flavor and that it can change. I so the general crowd has matured in a sense and has started yeah, and to I appreciate. Think, I think Oslo is very unique in that way because I, I remember I came to Oslo in in 2012 I think for a New Year's um, uh, party and we ended up somewhere at Frognel I can't remember where, where but somewhere there I have some vague memories some some statues or something and then uh, we ended up in this apartment and at someone's mom's apartment and on the fridge she she had like cut out the label on like 10 different coffees and they were from um, from Kaffa, from Tim, from Supreme, from probably all bought at Fuglen or like they, so it was like, I think she had it to remember, I like that coffee, so I can have that and if I see that again, I will buy it. And to me that was a sign of such a more mature market where the focus was actually on the coffee, not about the storytelling or the brand or anything. And then I think what actually matters today more, more than before is the flavor in the coffee. It doesn't matter what we call it, what we say it is or whatever. If it's a good cup of coffee, people will enjoy it and they will come back. Even it doesn't matter if it's brewed on V60 or a batch or, or it's whatever it is. It's, and I think that's also a difference to 10 years ago. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I I personally just think it was a lack of uh, like people were just not adult enough in the, the that third wave kind of thing, because what McDonald's in that uh, commercial got very right, all the single roasters and shops got very wrong, and that's just to help your customer, and that is yeah. the most important thing. Because it's supposed to be easy coming into a shop and being a customer. Yeah, oh. you, I I would love it to be like um, like a good sommelier, you know, like when you go into a shop, he doesn't tell you, he doesn't end uh, start with uh, what soil it comes from and uh, who was the farmer. No, he reads his customer. He knows. He kind of feels what he or she wants. Uh, gives them the wine that they want. 
and the story with it if they want it. But is that true? Every time I saw a sommelier describes a wine or says, oh, it's this wine from this region and you blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, I think that, that sounds good. I, I'm just lying. And it doesn't give me anything. I mean, hopefully I will enjoy the wine. I but I, I mean, they could just like blah, blah, you know? So but then at least you initiated the conversation and you said, okay, I wanted to know something. Unless you go red to wine, please. That's why, yeah. yeah. I'd like some uh, red wine, please. But to me, uh, to me, it's more like uh, coming back to the communication thing. I think it was just a lack of communication by people just starting in, into the coffee thing. It's not necessarily the technology, although I really think that it improved. I think if we had done that 10 years ago, it probably would have been better than all the... Uh, shitty, unbalanced uh, V60 pour overs that everyone... Using all your senses yes. to pull an espresso. Yeah. Your eyes and ears. Yeah, I remember uh, um, yeah, just having my, like, um, uh, being, uh, like, a, a guest to all the coffee shops and then um, just knowing, like, oh, fuck, this, this barista's working. Let's, let's skip this shop for today and <laughs> go to the next one because it's, like, that's how... Um, um, what do you call it, like uh, on regular it was how, when you could get quality in a pour over or not. Yeah. So uh, no, I don't think it has too much to do with technology and more like with the, with the scene just growing up yeah. and knowing what to communicate and when to communicate. Absolutely, so but you. But the, and then coming back to your questions, asking if it's still valid today, hell yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. But I think in Norway, uh, at least from what I know from the last two years that I've been living here, is that you guys are quite spoiled in a very good way. It's like you can get good um, coffees pretty much everywhere. Uh, like Cafe Penneri, like even the big chains are like beautiful. And I travel a lot through Europe and that's nowhere near the, the level that it is at Nor in Norway still. Do, do you think that reflects in the level of service that we, th this us being spoiled allows us to uh, represent this in a, a, a more humble uh, way? Um, maybe, but maybe it's also just uh, not giving a fuck anymore. Just like having it done so long yeah. and then it's just second nature. This is, that's how it feels to me. When I go to a shop, people are just like, no, this is, this is what we do. And, and I think that's the right mentality. Not like being snobistic about it, just like, this is what we do. Yeah. We make beautiful coffee. I will give you a beautiful cup of coffee. But if you want to, if you want to know more about it, I'll tell you yeah. everything. And but I know. Not to throw it in their faces. Not exactly. Make yeah. yeah. And they're yeah. like in other scenes, which is also the beautiful thing about specialty coffee is that everyone is so eager to tell you, like, okay, this is what it's about. This is the farmer. That's the beautiful thing, and that's why we're growing so fast. I think, but it has benefits and negatives. That's mm. yeah. yeah. I absolutely agree. Uh, now, uh, I want to talk, I want to <laughs> talk less and listen more to you guys, uh, because, uh, you. thank you, uh, can Eric and Jamie talk a little bit more about the growing side of things, because you have affiliation with the other side of the coffee industry that the common person, uh, never sees. How, how is that? And how, how is that? Uh, how has that uh, changed? And because we talk a lot about uh, direct trade, uh, building relationships with the farmers, um, is that just a marketing shtick or have things actually changed after we've started selling coffee for 
150 kronor per bag ända upp. Was that a tough one? No, no. I, I would say that I mean if it makes a, if it makes a difference, specialty coffee or third wave coffee for the farmers, I would say it makes a huge difference in some places and in other places it doesn't make any difference but we keep on buying it because it's a coffee people want and how, it's how easy come to sell so how come this, how no come because it it's difference? so different i mean i'm not working we are working with i, I don't know what it is seven countries uh, different origins and um, the a lot of the i mean there's a lot of common problems and and possibility uh, um, or challenges and and maybe common solutions as well in those different com- countries but the politics and the system and everything is so extremely different and in some places you go the farmers are so empowered and they charge so much for the coffee average quality coffee so we can't even buy that coffee and anymore because actually people are not here ready to i mean it's a bit in some countries we the everything we talked about and hoped for has come through true so now they're charging so much for that coffee so when we come back here to norway and trying to sell that coffee people are like nah that's a bit too expensive why is it the doesn't coffee taste so it does yeah. it's not that amazing that coffee so i think i'll go for this kenya instead or something and then you go to kenya and farmers are I mean, or in Ethiopia, I guess you can talk more about Rwanda and Burundi. They're so far from empowered, but we sell that coffee, tons of that coffee, and we haven't done anything to to change the 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 livelihood for those people. I mean, a bit, but to to ask for more high quality is, of course, good. But I would say it's super complex because we s- really see all sides of that. Uh, yeah, of course. But there, there are more uh, uh, transparency. There is more transparency now than it was before. Absolutely, yeah. in most, most places, yeah. And I would say, no, I, I think it's like again because it just happens to be here. The, the videos are quite nice um, uh, image to take into your in the back of your mind because it's a lot of these third way things is a little bit fake and does nothing for the for the scene. But there are definitely a lot of them in there that do a lot for the scene. So they do they do make long-term commitments. They don't change coffees every single year just because one coffee cha- uh, tastes a little bit less like peaches than they hoped, and they will uh, they will abandon that farm. Mm. So I definitely think there's a lot of good players doing a lot of beautiful stuff out there and making long-term commitments. So in that sense, specialty coffee definitely helps like even getting that first connection even though they we're not there yet or far off in a lot of places i think it has a lot of influence in everywhere because even if it just opened up the mind for farmers that it is a valuable product mm. and that they can ask more for it in the end i think mm. it will definitely be beneficial for the for the producers as well yeah. uh, and it's just a little bit of a different like in in centrals generally you work directly with a farmer who can ask more for their coffee and in Africa, the changes just works a little bit different where you, where we usually work with a washing station. So, and then even us, like I would say that uh, Nordic is very transparent in the way we, uh, we work. Uh, but even for us, it's hard to uh, get all the streams in, uh, map, it, map it all out. 
uh, which we are doing very much now, even more so than ever. And um, uh, I think that's the very start. And I think that's where we are right now. And to be even more transparent and to commit yeah. more to, to the farms that you already work with. So you feel like specialty coffee community uh, well, especially the coffee industry as a whole is moving in a direction towards even more transparency and even more uh, like uh, even more r rights for the entire value chain. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, but then it's like it doesn't. Um, it should be a little bit more than just putting that picture up in your shop. So yeah. you actually need to commit long term to more farmers. So, because it doesn't really make sense if you have a picture of a farmer in your shop, and then next year you right. have a different farmer. But if yeah. so, if you but if you comb through this thin layer of a bullshit, there's actual uh, actual value. I uh, mean, there's creation. Absolutely, yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of value. I think if we look a bit towards the future, and maybe even a fourth wave or whatever that is, I think we have a huge challenge in um, in our end of the industry to kind of be a bit more efficient to lower our costs mm -hmm. because right now it's a lot of, of of the roasteries and sometimes the importers i mean we add so much uh we think we add a lot of value but we 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 add a lot of costs to the to the end product and uh, all the time it's like in the the first step of the production mm -hmm. they're like we we just like Oh, so you're getting a bit more than your costs for this coffee. Maybe you even can build a brick house instead of this tin roof house. Oh, that's good. We've done a huge job, mm -hmm. but really, still, we're paying so little for the for the coffee. And in our end, we're adding a lot of costs, saying we're craft and we we can do this in a small volume, and we can like and and our customers are ready to pay. If, we, if a coffee bar puts the bag on the on the shelf, doubles the price, right? We have to do that. We have high rents in Norway, right? But for for the for the farmer, maybe they got ten cents more per pound, or twenty cents, or uh, maybe a dollar more for that uh, for that coffee, and just above the um, the living cost. So I think to make this in the long run make a difference, we need to figure out how we can pay more for their product somewhere less middle hands and and charge less yeah, to the to the end consumer because in the long run who who really can afford to buy coffee for 200 crowns per bag if you yeah. drink that coffee every day i mean it's yeah of course you can but will you do that for 20 years will you do that i you know yeah. and will you do it to a big enough extent so that it yeah ends up and being will our part of the market grow enough to to make uh, even bigger impact because right now we're so we're so spoiled by the the market just growing because we went from nothing to something mm. but then what are we happy with three percent of the market mm. or i mean when we don't have a new roastery opening every month in in a country like norway then what will we will we be happy and say oh no we roast we roast 20 tons a year. That's fine. I'm happy with that. I will, I will survive on my minimum wage running this roastery forever. Or do we want, do we want to like do more? Or do we want to buy, buy more coffee for a higher price so we can include even more farmers? 
and I think that's really a, that's a challenge for the future because I it, it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that being that's being taken by a lot of roses already that are in specialty but still doing volumes. Mostly they're there in the UK and in Prague and that kind of stuff, but they are working long term with with uh, farmers and increasing their volumes year by year and pre-committing so that the farmer actually gets to uh, uh, plan for that as well. But um, that's true, actually. So you're I, you're I quite I optimistic. I, yeah, I am. I am very that's optimistic. Good. Yeah, but uh, because I partly agree with it, but I also think because I don't necessarily think because. There's also a contradiction there, but because uh, at first you say that um, that uh, at this end where we live, that you ha that you have uh, that we need to take less margins and that kind of stuff, they put too much uh, costs on it. But at the same time, you say the rents are so high, mm. so there of course is uh, an efficiency thing that we have to clear up here and make sure that the the all the unnecessary things are not done here, so that we make sure that's more. Uh, margin uh, is going down the chain, but at the same time, I'll, I definitely think there's also a responsibility the other side, which is shitty to say. I know it's a negative uh, opinion to have, but to to say that also in Africa and whatever they need to make sure that they take the responsibility and and actually say, hey, listen, my coffee is worth something. You need to pay something, and I and that's like a kind of a chicken and egg thing because it's hard for them to do because otherwise they won't be able to sell the coffee. But somewhere they need to do that as well because um, there is not a there's probably not a company in this world that uh, goes to Africa just for charity and I and I really believe in doing business with each other and making sure that there's profit on both sides, make sure that that's a 50-50 win for everyone. So definitely there's sh I think there's much more to say for efficiency gain on all sides of the change chains and not necessarily uh, that we have to take so much less margin because I mean I work for Nordic I know how it is there it's not like we make shit tons of money we work very fucking hard to get uh, the uh, to do the things that we do uh, there's definitely importers there that that take that take the short road but there's uh, there's also a lot of importers doing uh, right job and and, uh, and definitely putting quality into the chain um, yeah, and I think it's also time for roasters to, to, uh, and then we come back to the same thing where it's like a lot of it is like a, a lot of stuff, it's kind of shitty to say, but it's like a mirage, you know, it's like, uh, they, mm. they talk a lot, um, and that, that's where you have the, the, the tricky thing with third wave. You don't always know who's doing a good job and who's doing mm. a bad job and someone just puts a label on a third wave and then everyone just thinks it's the same as all the third wave guys out there. Yeah. And I think it's, but that's, I, in a sense also, that's just what's gonna happen. You can cry about it and you can be uh, negative about it, but that's just the way it is. So if the good guys do not find a way of translating, communicating better than the other guys, that they're actually doing a good job, then we're doing then we're doing a good job, and not the the guys following them because apparently we're doing something that they can just copy, mm. and then people won't see the change if we don't put the value in the shops for the people uh, f uh, finding it. Then what are we doing? It and I think that's there will be a lot of uh, gains to be had to be had there as well. Mm. Uh, so it bo all boils down to. Communication, I guess. Yeah, um, but not only communication. I think exactly as you say, to actually not only t 
to add the value mm. and into everyone has to take uh, charge. what's my what's my Definitely. part of this and and not just talking about it yeah i think that's actually doing it could i ask uh, because you eric said something before <coughs> a while ago uh, -oh. uh no but you were saying that uh, when you look back in some countries you see this huge difference it's been really a development that okay we have made a difference here but in some countries nothing has happened uh i was just wondering why, why do you think that is and well i think uh, it's it's the um, i mean it's the system and the politics is a lot i mean if you if you ask uh, farmers in ethiopia what do they get paid how much how much money do do they have what's their like wage for for producing coffee you will you will get basically the same answer in a, in a whole region because the price for their cherries is based not on quality or anything it's based on what is the market price in that area at that certain time maybe more it's a bit more um, demand on that specific region but they don't they don't really feel the difference if I come there and pay four dollars per pound or someone else goes there and pays three dollars. They don't know, it's someone else get it, gets the, the money in between. Mm -hmm. And then you have, as you said, in, in Central America, you can go direct to the farmer. Maybe they even know that another roaster was here last week and he also wants a container, right? So I think our market price is 450. Did that work? Yes, I'll take it. Oh, perfect. The coffee costs 450, and that, I mean that's a huge, huge difference. I was just in, in Peru a couple of weeks ago, and it's interesting because everything we talk about here now actually happens mm. now. Last year, two years ago, and this year, they go from just selling a soup. I mean, they can sell amazing coffees, but what uh, the only premium they got before was for organic, and that's like three, six crowns per kilo or something to to have a much lower production mm. or yield so or maybe fair trade is another for 50 cents or something so and right now everything is happening that oh, you know what that coffee is actually worth three times as much because it's still cheaper than what we get from other countries for the same quality so and for the farmers there it's it's the i mean they send their kids to university and they they have like a fixed floor. It's not just earth, soil, like dirt floor. And yeah, it's huge. The difference there, you can really, you can touch it. And that's specialty, making the difference. A lot of good insights. Uh, thank you. And uh, let's talk about competition, barista competitions. Uh, Anton, uh, you are the most uh, experienced competitor of uh, of all of us uh you're the last year's uh, norwegian cup tasters champion and this year's aeropress champion um and you've been yeah you've been competing quite a bit um can you explain to the audience uh what a competition involves and what do you think is like good or uh, uh, bad, I guess, f uh, f with like, what role does the competition have in the specialty coffee industry as a whole? And yeah, w uh, wh what's good or what's bad with it? All right, a big question. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of questions in one. You can start with uh, uh, just talking a little bit about the format. 
of the format of the competition. Uh, and that, of course, depends on what kind of competition it is. But uh, it first starts with uh, choosing the coffee that you want to compete with. And uh, then you really have to get to know that coffee and find the right recipe. And then when the competition comes, it's actually like you're having a small stage performance. So there's like four or five judges standing there with their notepads and serious faces. And um, then it's your job to uh, describe the coffee, uh, to talk about the origin, what kind of bean it is, how it's processed, how it's roasted, and uh, give the taste descriptions. Uh, you will feel, you will have this aroma in this coffee, you will have this taste, you will have this aftertaste, acidity, and so on. And then you do uh, three different brews uh, with the same method, and you explain why you've chosen this method for this coffee uh, to get the best uh, results. And then you um, uh, describe all this to the judges, and you make these three uh, different brews that has to taste identical. And then the judges taste the coffee, smell the coffee, and they should uh, experience it exactly as you have described it. And then you uh, lose points if they don't taste the same? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes, you do. <laughs> so you better know your fucking coffee. <laughs> you yeah. Coffee. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of the real basics of the competitions. How about the Aeropress Championship that you won this year? How does that? How is that different? Yeah, that's real different because it's a bit. Uh, it's a bit more loose. Uh, it's a bit like a, more like a hangout. Is it like the cool younger brother of the Brewers Cup? It's the chill surfer brother. Yeah, the chill yeah. surfer dude who yeah. went to Australia. It is for a semester. But it still takes uh, his uh, handicraft really seriously. But let's have fun in the yeah. in the process. But there it is that um, everybody gets the same coffee, and then uh, like a week beforehand, and then you just have to find the best recipe, the peak recipe, and uh, then it's just um, uh, what do you call it? The um, the rounds when when you compete against each other and the heats maybe. Yeah, well, the heats or, or like a throwdown. Yeah, 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 it's like a throwdown thing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So you compete three at the same time, and then the best guy goes to the next level. Utslagsmetode. That's right. <laughs> In Norwegian. Yeah. So uh, that's like a bit more. Then it's no points. Then it's just black and white. Who's yeah. going to the next step, next level? Yeah, that sounds really cool. D ha has it made you a better barista, or does it just fill your ego? <laughs> like, it, is it like the? The reason when you call home to your parents, like, ah, I still work with coffee, but you know what? I won this competition, so I'm serious about this. <laughs> of course, that's a big part of it. Yeah. No, not a big part of it, but it's a part of it, of course. I like to tell my mom that uh, I did this. That has this me. Yeah. Oh, I will, actually. Uh, no, but of course, of course, it feels nice to be in a competition if it goes well. But like I told before, it's because I want to learn. You know, I, it's, um, it's the best way to like uh, push your limits. And uh, because of course, if you join a competition, you probably want to do well. And if you want to do well, you have to learn and know your stuff. So I think it's really, I encourage everybody to be in competitions. We, at Drop, we, we won the Swedish Barista Championship 2011, first time. And um, it was my friend Al Alexander that uh, 
he had uh, in the Swedish final he played drop it uh, like it drop it like it's hot in the uh, it was uh, <laughs> during the signature be beverage and uh, you could touch the you know the it was good it was it was a strong <laughs> performance it sounds and like the, and the kind of moment like where you'd have to be then there. we yeah. mixed 50% uh, panama and 50% ethiopia <laughs> and uh, we went to uh, oslo with this uh, blend before we uh, the finals in bogota <laughs> And then we, we booked the day with um, Tim Mendelbo and I took I'm, I put the wrong date into the calendar. So he sent me a message, where the fuck are you? <laughs> and we're like, oh, sorry, I thought it was tomorrow. And he's like, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. You know, you just wasted a half a day for me. And we were like, oops. <laughs> and then we were like, yeah, you can brew your coffee. I will taste it. And we, and we couldn't get it, you know, to work because he had this like new new machine that we had we hadn't tried and we like i think we did 40 shots and then it tasted like yeah the ethiopia is good but that panama i don't know what that's all about and then we went up to robert at kaffa and he tasted that panama he cupped it and it was like you're so and then he had like a three-hour lecture about how we paid a lot of money for just quakers basically and then we fixed that we went to bogota uh, on the airport, I met this uh, Swedish um, uh, television team. They were in uh, Colombia to do this uh, thing about um, uh, why farmers stopped growing coffee and started growing other things with better economy in it. And um, I was like, you, you have to come and see. We're going to compete. We're the best in Sweden. It's the biggest thing ever. It's a competition in coffee. And they were like, yeah, yeah we might come. We go there. We compete. We think it's so good. Uh, we the TV team shows up. Alexander he goes over 45 seconds because the more nervous he gets, the slower he talks while he's serving this cappuccino. We we're like, oh no! And uh, you could see in this TV show afterwards how we're like the whole team is sitting like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but okay, 45 seconds. What's that? 45 points off? We could afford it. No problem. We would reach the semifinals. We went, came with this light roasted coffee. The judges didn't understand anything. We ended up way down. After Rwanda, they competed with 100% uh, Robusta. <laughs> we were after that. And we went home and were totally first Tim Wendelboot, then Robert at Kaffa, and then the whole international coffee scene. Just like, you guys, you don't know anything what you're doing so that's we learned a lot from that competition i think we <laughs> became better yeah there we go yeah and also Next time you're gonna yeah. use a uh, robusta that was your lesson we came back a couple of years later improved a couple of yeah and also it's pretty dope to compete in the worlds in anything i guess mm -hmm. just to enter the world stage yeah. within your mm -hmm. field <laughs> it's not a cool thing yeah they weren't ready for us <laughs> you were ahead of your time was that Alexander Ruas? Yeah. Ah, nice. Yeah. He's my friend, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> um, I'm I, I regretting to say that the time is flying by. I think on that note, we have to round things off. Uh, someone are taking a sigh of relief, I guess, maybe. Or, uh, uh, <sighs> Thank you again so much uh, for coming, you guys. I'm sure Tom has tucked away like a 
a token of gratitude somewhere, like a bag, a bag of coffee, or. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Just uh, no, no, my voice is also on the podcast. Um. <laughs> hey, Tom. <laughs> no, Tom, we're gonna cut that out. No worries. 